Well, good morning. Boy, howdy, it's so good to see all of you in worship. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to just say a particular welcome to you. We are so grateful that, that you are here and with us. And uh, just a little bit about who we are. Um, we are a two-site church here in the, in the valley, one here, one under the Bridger Mountains. Our, our windows actually look towards our legacy site. And we exist for this purpose of building authentic community in Christ. What we want that to look like, the vision and the picture that we see is that we want our church to be a place to call home. Because we know out there is a world of homelessness, not only physically, but spiritually and mentally. We want this place, this people to be a place for people to call home. So it's my my honor and privilege to welcome you to worship uh, this morning. Um, We are continuing on in this, uh, this series on the Gospel of John um, we're, we're knee-deep into this thing. We're seven chapters in. And, and last week, we learned about this mass exodus of followers who had walked away from Christ. Kind of a crazy concept. And what began with this, this feast of thousands of people following Jesus and enjoying that meal of loaves and fish has now ended with just 12 disciples left. Think about that. You know, if you think about the, by the world standards, that's some serious loss of momentum from 5,000 down to just 12. And really we should just say 11 because as we learned last week, as we left off, one of those 12 would betray Jesus outright. And the reason for this sudden decline in popularity was really no different than what the church faces today. Look at this up on the screens. This is what we learned last week. When the crowd, what the crowds wanted, Jesus would not give. And what Christ offered, the crowds would not receive. And so at this point in John's gospel, just about everyone who has encountered Jesus is now wrestling with that impasse. What they want from Jesus, he's not willing to give. And what they need from Jesus, they refuse to accept. And ultimately, the question that everybody seems to be wrestling with is, who is he? Who is Jesus? And it's at this point in the story of John's gospel where if we were to ask the crowds or the disciples who had defected or, or even the family of Jesus were going to learn, they would have all kinds of answers for us. Some would have said he was a miracle worker, a life changer. Others would say he was a brilliant preacher, a, a dynamic leader, a prophet. Some, of course, to be real, would even say he's no good. We're going to learn that this morning. He's, he's bad news. You need to stay away from him. But I think it's fair to say at this point in Jesus' time on earth, Christ is somehow one of the most misunderstood figures of history. Despite all the miracles, despite all the teachings, they don't understand who he is. Look at this. We're going to open up our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 1 through 24 this morning. And I want us to see, this time it's not the crowds, that are struggling. It's not the disciples who walked away. That was last week. This time it's a direct hit. It's Jesus' own brothers. So let's hear now God's word. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your brothers, your disciples also might see the works you are doing. For no one who works in secret, if he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. 
You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others know he is leading the people astray. For fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You ever thought about what it would be like to be invisible? Y'all know me by now, I'm going somewhere with this. Back in 2006, the United States military somehow took that idea and they made it a reality. It's called the broadband cloak of invisibility. Have you seen this? They created a, a material that somehow bends light around it so that what was previously seen in the distance is now blending in with the environment. If I understand it right, the technology is similar to a, like a heat wave off the desert floor. The waves bend around the light and, and it creates this mirage. In fact, this very phenomenon happened just this week off the coastline in England. Did anybody see that? Look at this. I've got a picture for you. Who knew ships could fly? This technology, it apparently uses some sort of artificial mirage, right, to cover up the target. Think about the benefits of that with me for a minute. Like as a parent, right, you, there always comes that time in the day where you just need 10 minutes to yourself. Am I preaching to the choir here? Just 10 minutes, right? And where do you normally go to escape for those 10 minutes? The bathroom. <laughs> Somehow the kids find you every time. Wouldn't it be cool to just hit that button and suddenly blend in with the furniture? Where's mom? I don't know. She's incognito. Well, in our lesson this morning, it was first the crowds, then it was the disciples, and now it's Jesus' own brothers. And they've made him out to be a mirage. They have taken who this Jesus is and they've added their own ideas and agendas and delusions. And in their mind, they've created this picture of someone who's entirely different than Jesus Christ. And just like those distorting waves in the desert, they've created this false picture. This morning, I want us to look at three specific ways that this happens in our lessons. And here's what I want us to see. Jesus' brothers misunderstood him because they couldn't understand his purpose, his plan, and his priority. Say that with me. Purpose, plan, 
and priorities. Let's jump in and I'll show you what I mean. Let's look first at this this purpose for a minute. The first mirage that, that appears in our text, the first fatal misunderstanding of who Jesus is, is that no one seems to understand the reason or the purpose for why Jesus came. Let me give you some context. Our scripture tells us it was the festival of booths, also known as the festival of tabernacles. It was a seven-day party, you might say, with thousands of people camping out in makeshift tents. If you lived outside of Jerusalem, you and your family would make your tent out of branches and leaves, and you would camp in your front front lawns with these, these tabernacles that you had built. If you lived within the city walls of Jerusalem, you would build the same sort of structure, but you would do it on top of your house. And for seven days, you would hang out with your neighbors on the rooftops, waiting for the day of celebration. And the reason for this festival was for God's people to remember the faithfulness of the Lord as he led their ancestors through the wilderness for 40 years. So Jesus' family is packing their bags for this trip to Judea, and they're fired up because this year, this year is going to be different. This year they've made all sorts of plans for Big Brother. From their perspective, if they can talk Jesus into coming, this is the moment everything changes. This is where Christ gets his groove back. And they tell Jesus, they say, let's, let's have you leave Capernaum and head for the holy city. All the crowds will be there. They'll see you do these signs and wonders and the hype will be unreal. You'll have all the wind back in your sails and it'll be all good. Look at this in verse two. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that the disciples may also see the works you are doing. Let's give these brothers the benefit of the doubt. Let's, let's assume these, these sons of Mary and Joseph, they want what's best for Jesus. In fact, we can say that if you look at verse four, he's, they said, if you do these miracles in public, we could scale this thing, right? And make you worldwide. Show yourself to the world. And at first glance, it sounds like a really neat plan, right? Like that's what we want as followers of Jesus, right? We want to make his name famous. Except the family was so caught up in making him legendary that they had completely misunderstood why he came to begin with. In fact, verse five tells us there's a horrible problem. Not even his brothers believed in him. They had seen the miracles, They knew something was different. They had heard the stories, but they too didn't believe. And like the disciples last week who defected or the crowds two weeks ago who had walked away, they couldn't understand why he came. Don't miss this next part. I want to know if you agree. It seems to me that the last thing on Jesus' mind was making a name for himself. And yet his brothers, they were obsessed with it. They were blinded by their own dreams. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10, we'll have it up on the screens here as well. And I want to read this to you because it's here that we find the mission statement or the purpose of Christ. Look at this. Here's his, his purpose. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. It's that basic, right? The mission of Jesus Christ is search and rescue. We can find even more details of this in Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19. Jesus says, I'm here for four reasons. To proclaim the good news to the poor, to give freedom to the prisoners, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. But all his brothers can see, 
all they can perceive is this man who refuses to be who they think he ought to be and refuses to go where they think he ought to go and refuses to do what they think he ought to do. And here's my point. I feel like sometimes as followers of Christ, we fall into that same trap. We, we misplace the, the simple purpose of Christ, and instead of joining him in that mission, we, we make a mirage of who he want him to be. Maybe it's because we've heard the story a million times over and it's old news, or maybe we get so caught up in our own dreams and our own lives that we forget to follow him. But for Jesus, it was simple, right? I came to seek and save. And even with the best of intentions, we often get our own dreams and our own agendas, our own goals mixed up with that of Christ. And I feel like we often create this false image in our minds where we misunderstand not only his purpose, but his mission. See, Jesus' brothers, they couldn't for the life of them understand. They couldn't fathom why he wouldn't want to go to this festival and make a name for himself. They don't realize that had Jesus had come with them, he would have started a revolution for all the wrong reasons. They're not thinking death on a cross. As one commentator put it, they're thinking Hollywood walk of fame. Now, Jesus said, now you go ahead. My time hasn't arrived. And it's almost as if in this moment, they think of this man as now cowardly. Look at this in verse four. They said, don't be foolish. No one works in secret if he wants to be known openly. And in that one sentence, we realize it was not just the purpose of Christ that's been misplaced. They couldn't make sense of the plan either. Let's talk about the plan for a minute. Um, If Christ's purpose was search and rescue, how did he plan to pull this thing off? Reminds me of a, a story of a Wild West sharpshooter who somehow outshined his peers for years. Every time he went out to the range, he hit every one of the targets spot on, 100%. Didn't matter how the distance, didn't matter the conditions. He was a marksman of marksmen. And for for years, no one could figure out how he did it. One day, much later on in life, um, he decided it was time to reveal his secret after he had retired from the profession. He said it was easy. He said, first, I shot the bullet. Then I walked down the field and drew the bullseye over it. Now, here's why I share that story. This is a perfect picture of what went wrong in our text, right? Jesus' brothers have made their own plans. They have their own schemes that have nothing to do with the purpose or the plan of Christ. They're ready to make Jesus' name known, right? Take this to the next level. It's an honorable idea, but that's not the target. They're just shooting off and filling in their own bullseye. It's a mirage. They believe if they just follow their game plan, Jesus would be known. But I think sometimes I wonder if in our own ambitions, in our our, our own desires with good intentions, we don't make the same kind of mistake. How do you make Jesus' name famous? Like what about um, putting the, the classic Christian fish on your car? Or the bumper sticker that talks about what church you go to. It's a really good plan, right? Unless you're like me and you're a careless or sometimes reckless driver, then it goes south. Or if on social media we we tell the world we're a follower of Christ with a few Bible references and those praying hand emojis, what happens if we forget that what we do and say online is being watched by all of our friends that possibly don't follow Jesus? You know, when we see those who disagree with us across the aisle 
as enemies instead of the, the lost who need saving. We miss the point. See, in the plan of salvation, it, for Jesus, it looked nothing like his brothers imagined. They were too caught up in their own dreams, their own plans. None of them were thinking of cross, nails, thorns. And here's the important part. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, that's the plan. Not only the, the plan for Jesus and his cross, but the plan for us and our cross. Y'all know if you've been here for a while, Philippians 2 is definitely one of Ryan's favorites. I want us to read it together. Let's look at this. Paul said, have this same mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the salvation of Jesus wasn't revealed in the spectacle. It was revealed in the cross. It wasn't revealed in the, the megaphone of a festival. It was revealed in his sacrifice. And here's the last piece of our puzzle this morning. If all that's true, if you agree so far, then the priorities of Christ have to supersede our own. See, Jesus' brothers, they want him to come to this festival, right? They have the best of intentions, but Jesus says, I'm not going with. Look at this in verse 6. You go up to the feast, Jesus says, I'm not going, for my time has not fully come. Jesus knew that even though the road ahead looked good, even if it made practical sense, that wasn't the plan. And therefore, it wasn't the priority. And we see this time and time again, right? At the beginning of John's gospel, he's asked to turn water into wine. What does he say? My hour has not come yet. Jesus was a pro at priorities. He did everything in the Father's time, right? If that meant waiting, then he waited. If that meant praying, then he prayed. If that meant moving, then he moved. But he aligned his life with the Father every step of the way. And it seems to me we live in a world of mixed priorities, right? On a weekly basis, my email gets hit with some advertisement telling me I should buy something right now because I deserve it. We live in an age of a, of a quick fix. We want patience, and we want it right now. We're not good at waiting for anything. And frankly, if we look closely at our lives, we could probably find areas where our priorities are far from in alignment with his. And Jesus' family, his own brothers, they can't imagine why he'd want to wait. Like, what's the matter with you? Seize the moment. This is now. That wasn't the plan. Jeff and Rebecca Payne had experienced the perfect wedding back in Ohio. They were on their way from the chapel to the reception down the road, and all was good until they hit a nightmare traffic jam. They sat on that freeway for over an hour as the party went on without them. Some of the other drivers, they, they noticed Rebecca in this dress, and they asked them where they were headed. And when they heard from this couple that they might possibly miss their first dance ever, one of them suggested, why don't you just do it right here? He rolled his window down and with some songs from Spotify, began to put together their wedding playlist. Another driver across the way got out with his camera and began taking pictures. 
And this traffic jam that almost ruined a wedding now made for one of the most memorable viral, memorable viral moments that they never saw coming. About the time the dance ended, the groom's father pulled in from the other side of the lanes. They hopped over the guardrail and went on to celebrate. What I'm trying to say is it's a hard thing for us to trust in God's timing, yeah? You know, we bring our own priorities every day. We have this list of things that need to get done and goals to accomplish, plans to fulfill. And yet what we find this morning is that the plans and priorities of Jesus' family were anything but his. It's a good lesson, I think. You know, if we're going to follow the purpose and the plans of the Lord, if we want to truly follow his lead, that means we have to wait on him. Jesus' brothers, they left him behind. Soon after the week began, Christ goes up to Jerusalem in private. The crowds are already talking about him. Who is this man? Some said he was good. Others said, no, he's leading us astray. But this time, instead of giving the world another miracle, instead of a crowd cheering rally, this time Jesus walks into the synagogue and brings them God's word in God's time. And as he spoke, he said this really important thing. He said, you know this teaching isn't mine, right? It's the one of him who sent me. Look at this in verse 18. He goes on. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. What was key for Christ was to align his will to that of the Father, right? To prioritize his life accordingly. And it seems to me the takeaway for us this week, the charge for us is the same. The purpose of Christ was to seek and save. The plan to do it wasn't fanfare. It was the cross. And the priority of Christ throughout was unshakable. So four questions for us as you go to find lunch today. What is your purpose here on earth? What plans have you made in your life as of late? What priorities have you set in your schedule? And here's the clincher. How does that, all of that, align with Jesus Christ? Let's ask God to give us discernment this week. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Lord, your mercy and your grace are overflowing in our lives. We see that, God. We, we see those moments where we, like sheep, have gone astray. Lord, and yet, as a shepherd, you, you bring us back. God, we thank you for your word, that it's true, and what it speaks to us about who you are. And we, we confess those times in our lives where we put you in a box and we painted a picture that's not true. Lord, we thank you that your mission was to, to seek and save. Lord, we, we praise you for the, the cross. Lord, for your humility. God, we, we ask this morning, help us to prioritize our lives in the same manner. Lord, help us to look to you this week, that we would be in alignment with your purpose and plan and priorities, not just in this moment, but every moment of our lives. Lord, hold us close this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.